What's going on, guys? Charles Rob, aka the Handsome Homebuyer. And on this week's podcast, we have the California kid, Antoine Martel, wholesaling, renting, doing deals. Very interesting business model from California, but on the other side of the country, in Tennessee and other places in um, the Midwest and the East Coast. Very interesting model of getting properties, renting them out, and then selling them to investors as performing rentals and making the split the spread. Very interesting fix and flip model. Check it out. Interesting guy. You're going to love him. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, kid. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. My name is Charles, a.k.a. the Handsome Home Buyer. A microphone gone, microphone back. So sticking with the theme of sheer madness, it's sheer freaking madness right now as it is every day, but we're expanding, we're growing, we're moving right now from 1,200 square feet to 7,000 square feet. We're bringing in the uh, acquisitions team. We are shooting for the goal of 200 houses next year, and we are laying down the groundwork right now, which fits right in with uh, today's guest who is doing big, big, big numbers and looking to do huge numbers as well. He does them from across the country, but the most interesting thing about him is I am wound up tighter than I don't know what. And he is probably the most laid back, chill investor that I've ever had the pleasure of speaking with. But before we go there, you know who else is obviously always laid back, always there for you, always getting the job done. That's right. You know it. You love him. Captain Permit. 516-513-883. If you need plans, if you need permits, if you need anything permit related, tip to tip, coast to coast. And by that, I mean Queens to Montauk. We got you all day. Every day, because you know the towns in New York are an absolute nightmare and getting worse by the minute. Obviously, I'm the handsome home buyer. If you have a house that smells like cat pee, dated from the 1960s, six inches of mold on the wall, human waste floating past the basement steps. I'm quick. I'm easy. Lord knows I'm a good time. I want to buy it. We're also doing commercial property notes. You name it. You know I'm doing it all over the place from basic fix and flip to assisted living facilities to self-storage to subdivisions. We got the first 3D printed house going in the ground in three weeks from now. It is sheer bananas. But um, back to today's guest. So today's guest out of California flips and does rentals across the country from essentially his living room, which I'm really interested to uh, to hear about. Um, 14 plus million dollar rental portfolio is a young guy. I believe he's 35 years old, handsome, got a good head of hair, good beard to hair ratio from what I could see does an average of 120 plus flips a year. He's the founder of Martel turnkey. He's an author and his goal, which I love is to flip 300 plus houses. Um, and he's looking to achieve that by 2024. So, uh, Antoine Martel, come on down. Thank you for having me. What's up, man? Good to see you. How are things? Good. It's busy today, <laughs> like every day. <laughs> I, uh, I can relate. I can relate. So, um, you're a young guy. You're 35, right? No, 25. Shit, you're 25? Yeah. What? Wow. How long have you been doing this for? Since I was in college, 2017. Jeez. So... I was graduating college in 2017 <clears throat> and I was about to graduate. I was about a year or two years away and my brother took me to a real estate seminar and I just got addicted and I just like moved all my classes from five to 10 PM the whole, the whole day. Can we cuss on here? Yes, of course. 
all right, the whole day I was just like networking with people in LA, taking them to coffee, lunch. Hey, I'm a local college student. I don't know what I'm doing. And I would just, they would just tell me their whole thing, how they did everything. And I just started like taking notes and stuff like that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to figure out a way to do this before graduating. And then a couple of months before graduating, I bought a house. My dad had like 40 grand saved up. So we bought a house in Memphis okay. for like $30,000, $35,000, renovated it for 5,000 bucks. And then did a cash out refinance. The house was worth like 55 after, for example, pulled the money out and then just kept, then I graduated college and I just kept doing that burst strategy for like six months, nine months. I had a small little portfolio. Then I started selling houses out of that portfolio to friends and family. And then I was like, holy shit, this is a real business here. Like people are looking for this product, you know? Uh, and yeah, we're making a good return holding them as buy and holds, but damn, I could make a way better return if I could flip these houses in 60, 90 days to friends and family members. I can grow my cash because we didn't have cash. So how are we going to grow our cash is just by flipping, flipping, flipping. Uh, yeah. It's just crazy because as I hear you talk about the numbers, like 40 grand to buy and five grand to renovate, it's like 40 grand in New York doesn't really get you a parking space. <laughs> like that's, that's, yeah. that's, and I assume California. California is super expensive, very tough yeah. market. Um, so essentially what you were doing is because I know guys that are doing this down in Florida. I know a guy who essentially... Do you property manage also? No, we do that third party. I haven't gone okay. into that. Because I know a lot of guys um, down south, their thing is like they'll buy rental properties and essentially they'll get them to perform at a certain level. And then they'll sell either one-offs or packages to investors that are looking for like an 8 to 10% return. And they stay on as yeah. a property manager and they do that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We So very similar to that strategy, except we're doing... Yeah, we're just selling them as one-offs. And then... We have, of course, an acquisition team and a sales team. And then, you know, the people in the middle are kind of project manager, cons con construction kind of related stuff. Um, but we're doing one-offs and we've been doing them in many different markets. I haven't gotten into property management. I just think it would, mm -hmm. it, first of all, they don't make very much money in these kind of like seven, eight, nine hundred $900 rentals. Yeah. They don't really make that, you know, you're making 80 bucks a month on one yeah. of these houses, but the amount of work per month, you know, if no. there's an eviction and all this kind of shit, I mean, you're not making much at the end of it. I've talked to the owners because I'm good friends with them and they have many other businesses and they always say property management's the worst business they have. No, it's I always say it's a thankless job. It's like if you do a great job, you don't hear anything. But yeah. when things go wrong or you're getting complaints, which is pretty much every single day. Yeah. Um, I have in-house property management, which I do more for control and then yeah. Um, you know, here the rents are obviously higher. So when I start doing them for other people, it's, it's, you can make money A and then B, it's, yeah. you know, you get, you get dibs on what these people are looking to sell. Yeah. So, so you're, you're not flipping in the sense like you're buying, renovating, and then reselling it to someone who's going to live there. You're buying them to tenant them to then sell them as a performing asset to another investor. Correct. So buy, rehab, rent, put property management in place sell it as a turnkey rental property to our clients, help our clients get financing, insurance, property management. No shit. I mean, yeah. I mean, the service is, is awesome. You're basically acting as the vehicle to set people up who don't have the knowledge, the time, or the connections to do it. Yep. And then I take all of those realtor fees and I have my own in-house sales team and we don't need licenses. Wow. Very yeah, cool. We, we own all the houses, right? So... I'm just curious to know, are you, are you 1031 in these things into something else? Or are you just taking it and moving it because it's happening too fast? We can't 1031 because we're doing too much. So they call, they consider it. Now we're real estate professionals. So it's actually active income. So it's yeah. like, you know, a legit 
business now. So we're not able to do like 1031. And even if we were <laughs> the profit, the, you know, the profits and the deals are so small that the amount of money it would cost to, you know, you make our 20 grand or 10 grand on a flip or a house. I mean, you really want to spend a couple thousand bucks to save the, I mean, you're going to pay that much in tax anyway. So um, 1031 is never something we really did. Yeah, no, I was just curious based on the way that you're, uh, you're yeah. doing it. Do you ever package them up and sell them to investors in, you know, two, three, four, five? You can just keep moving them one at a time. We do, we have. Um, so like some clients come to us like, hey, I sold this rental in California. I want to do a 1031 exchange. I have 500 grand. Okay, cool. Like we can finagle our inventory and create a custom package for them. So we've done that like maybe three to four times when people have half a million, a million bucks, and we'll get them into five, 10 houses at a, in one shot. Do you, uh, do you keep anything for yourself or everything goes? Um, great question. So we've kind of been like playing with that. <laughs> so we started Martel Turnkey in like 2018, right? So eight, nine, 10, 11. So we're like three years in. Okay. We did own probably like about 10 single family homes and we went heavy on apartment building. So 2019, 2020, I bought like about a hundred units of apartments. Okay. And then 2021, after 2020, like just the the apartment building market, just the cap rates just got, got completely cut in half, right? So yep. I got offered like crazy offers on these apartment buildings. So I started selling them. So I sold like half of the portfolio. So I sold about 50 units of them. And then I've been just taking that cash and I'm like, shit, what, do I, what am I gonna do with it? Um, because now there's record low inventory and stuff like that, but I got an amazing sellout um, of those apartment buildings. So. We did have those apartment buildings. We started selling them because the prices were ridiculous. Now we're kind of thinking a little bit more um, about getting back into holding maybe just some single family homes. Okay. Just due to the everything that's going on with the economy. So inflation and uh, interest rates going up, all this kind of stuff. So we're thinking about putting some money into some long long term stuff. But 99% of the stuff we're buying right now is is just going right out the door because the buyer demand is there. Yeah. Um, and we're making a good return. And then um, I think, I don't know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question that we play along, play like a lot with like our team and family. It's kind of like, you know, if the musical chairs finally stop, then we're going to mm -hmm. be left with like a hundred single family homes, right? So, okay, maybe that's when we do, you know, that's our portfolio and we hold it and we just hold it forever, yeah. right? But like until the music stops playing, should we just keep flip? Like, should we just keep doing this? You know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. There's no, there's no, there's no right answer. Um, I don't know. And, if the, I don't know if the music ever stopped. I mean, that's an awesome business model because that's an awesome yeah. business model because there's, there's not really a lot of risk there because I mean, these things are rented and performing. It's not like if I'm flipping a house and something happens yeah. in the market and I'm trying mm -hmm. to sell it to like, you know, Joe Blow homeowner, it's a different ball. Yeah. Yeah. And see, and like, that's the thing that I'm just keep playing in my head. Like, okay, the worst case scenario is I just got to hold it myself in my own portfolio. Like, yeah. okay. You know, like I don't, I don't care. I'm buying them for, for 10 caps and, you know, selling them for eight caps or seven caps, you know? So okay. if I have to hold it and just keep it at 10 cap and I can get dead at 5%, 4%, I mean, I'm good. So, um, yeah. Where do you, um, so where do you get the buyers? I'm curious. Yeah, so buyers, so Instagram was really big um, for me when I first started. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know. And then uh, Bigger Pockets was huge, just a lot of like one on one stuff. And then I got really uh, deep into like meetups in LA, like presenting okay. at meetups, 
going to meetups and like, I, you know, you tell anybody you flip like five houses a year and their brains explode already. And I was like, I flipped five, I flipped a hundred houses a year. And like people that, you know, I had like a line around me, no joke. Like people wanted to ask me so many questions because everybody was trying to flip houses in LA. Like I want to flip one house in LA and they would try like two years to flip one house. And I'm like, dude, you should just, you're, you're too focused. You need to go look out of state. And I'm like, I've done a hundred in the time that you've looked for your first deal. Um, so that like helped get a lot of people just on board with like, okay, you know what? You're right. Let's just take our 20 grand and go buy a turnkey rental from you instead. And so I would say meetups pre COVID bigger pockets. And then that all kind of fed into, to Instagram, which takes a lot longer than going to a meetup and shaking meetup and shaking like a hundred people's hands, you know? So I'm curious to know, how did you learn this stuff? You have any kind of like formal real estate training or you were just basically out there in the street, you did your first one and you're like, oh, this is cool. Like it works. And then you just basically rinse and repeat that same model. Yeah. So I listened to, so when I moved my class, so it first started with that real estate seminar, which gave you like an Excel spreadsheet about how to analyze deals. So that was kind of the first way I was like, okay, now I at least have something to like analyze these deals with. Right. So then I started just looking at stuff in LA and like analyzing deals, yada, yada, nothing made any sense. And then you'd make offers on these things. And <coughs> we tried it for probably three, four, five months making offers on houses in LA and just, just got completely blown out of the water with yeah. these other investors. Then I was like, okay, let's go to Fresno. So that's got kind of in the boonies about two hour, three hour drive from LA. And, you know, you don't want to live there. It's kind of just farmland. And then you start, you start making offers there and then it's like, you know, you still get outbid, outbid, and it's like, what the hell, what's going on? Um, so then I started looking out of state and running numbers. And then throughout that kind of those pivots, I was learning as much as I could. So reading books, um, podcasts were huge, like Bigger Pockets podcast was like the one that I was listening to a lot just because they had so much volume and stuff. So yeah. podcasts were huge for me. Um, reading books, kind of, I mean, books are kind of weird in that sense. Um, and then bigger pockets meetups, meetups and like meeting up with people on bigger pockets that I would just network with that had done a flip out of state and I could go get a coffee with them in LA and mm -hmm. just picking their brain. How did you do it? How did you choose the market? How did you build the team? How'd you find the team? How'd you manage the team? And just like collecting those 50 or hundred stories that I got. And I was like, okay, you know, 50 people did it like this. All right. I think I can do it too. You know? So it was a, it was a grind. It was a year and a half, two year grind to, to get that first deal. So I actually have all those same questions, which is, you know, I guess you realized at that point, like, Hey, it's impossible to get deals here. It doesn't make sense in California. Mm -hmm. How do you decide at that point that the country is a big place? And yeah. it's interesting because a lot of people that I hear from California, there's a lot of people in California doing not necessarily what you do the way you do it, but they're investing out of California. And a lot of them are hitting, um, you know, Tennessee, Ohio, yeah. things like that. How did you, uh, focus and pinpoint those places. So those places, first of all, you can start with a map of the U S and you can choose like landlord friendly States. Okay. So that's going to get rid of like half the country already. Then after that, you can start looking at the major cities in the rest of the States. And then from there you can see like half of those cities are just too expensive. Like the median home price is like two or three or 400 grand where I was looking for like a hundred thousand bucks. Cause again, we only had 40 grand. Right. So like, I was like, where can I invest in a city where like I can get stuff for 40, 50,000 bucks. So that like got rid of a lot. <laughs> and then you probably have like maybe 10 or 20 cities after that where like you can get into a house 
for less than a hundred thousand bucks that is in a landlord friendly state where there is some sort of like economy still. Um, and that was like Memphis, Cleveland, St. Louis, Birmingham, Detroit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Louisville, Kentucky, all these kinds of places. And then I really just started like, um, from what I had learned from meeting all these people is they just like started hitting the phones. So I moved, I did the same thing, moved my classes to the nighttime and I would just hit the phones all day long, call realtors, call property managers. And I was literally just like trying to find some needle in a haystack person that could help me do what I wanted to do, which was essentially burr. But this was, you know, that word wasn't around back then. Um, but I was like, Hey, I'm Antoine Mortel. I'm a real estate investor in California. I have 50 grand. I want to buy a house, renovate it, rent it out and refinance it. Can you help me with these steps? And I like to do one and keep doing them one a month was my pitch to them. And, um, yeah, it kind of just started from there. And then I was cold calling Memphis cause I had known there was a couple big, um, big investors there, uh, like Memphis invest and those kinds of people that I had known about. And they were doing like a hundred houses a year. And I was like, Holy shit, this is crazy. Um, and it just kind of made me know that it was possible. And then I finally found that needle in a haystack person just cold calling like 250 realtors in Memphis. Um, cold called somebody and he had a property management company. He was a broker owner, the youngest broker owner in the country. Um, and he had a construction company that he was flipping houses personally with. I was Bam. like, dude, this is, yeah, exactly. And I was like, dude, this is the, this is money right here. And so me and that, me and that guy just kind of took off together and I bought like five houses without even going there, without even meeting him. Wow. Then I finally went out there. Yeah. Then I finally went out there on house like five. Cause I graduated college and I was, so, it was so busy. I was so busy in LA that I was like, I can't even take a fucking trip. I got to just keep analyzing these deals. He's doing everything. Wow. That's a and, lot um, of trust, man. Yeah, I know. But it was, but like he was performing dude. Like, all right. The first house was like a, like the biggest risk. Right. Yeah. But the renovation was like five grand, but man, when he said renovation will be done this day, this is the cost, you know, but, and I'll send photos, professional shots on this day. Like, bang 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 done money was sent everything was done rented out two weeks later for higher than what he told me it was like and showed me the lease you know like there's no like faking it like how could he come up with this shit you know so and then after that he was like oh by the way here's the next deal legit wow yeah and he's like hey i just got this this seller just called me like you know let's buy this one now here's the numbers on it let's do it boom and i was like fuck like why am I going to slow this down? I mean, is the deal flow that insane in, in places like this? It, it was back then. Now you got to do a lot more pushing. Okay. Um, but I mean, still, man, I mean, we're still buying. Last month, we bought 20 houses. This month, we bought 11 so far. And we're going to buy another six or seven before the end of the month. And it's record low inventory. You know, we're buying 20 houses a month and selling maybe like 10 to 12 um per month right now and uh because we're buying a lot of stuff that's vacant that's occupied or an eviction because a lot yeah. of people are just throwing their hands up and want to get rid of shit so yeah we're picking we're buying all these houses that nobody wants to deal with it, the courts right now and um we're getting a lot of them yeah well because you're all you're basically investing in non-judicial states so once the moratorium is up these people are out yeah, they're out quick. Yeah. Whereas it's interesting because I, I consider LA and New York to basically be the same. And I consider them yeah, to be yeah. another planet compared to the rest yeah. of the country. So yeah. it's just it's it's so interesting because trying to trying to do a hundred deals like what what is it like to try and do a hundred deals in LA? 
Oh no, it's never been done before. Exactly. It's like doing a hundred deals in New York is, is madness. And yeah. then, so but you also have all the bullshit to deal with though, dude, like dude, we don't have permits. We don't have city inspections. We don't have any of that kind of stuff. So like my friend does stuff in uh, like long Island and stuff. He's probably maybe doing a house a month. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, he's working more than me on a house a month that, I mean, he doesn't have a team and like that kind of shit, but like just all the headaches that came with just doing one house, you know, and I'm like, dude, I have no idea, no idea what you're talking about. Like, I don't have a city inspection. I don't have, you know, as long as you don't yeah. touch the walls, you're good. You yeah. know, like if you don't move walls, I mean, like you can do everything in between, you know, and you don't need permits, don't need the city to come out, anything like that. So it's just a way better place to do business in because we don't have to deal with all that shit, which helps, gives me the ability to be able to scale quickly, right? Which is why you're so, so you, this is why you're not stressed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the amount of the amount of government regulation here is absolutely insane, yeah. and the price points are crazy, and it's like in, insanely competitive. Like, so Long Island, you you seem to know decently well, Nassau and Suffolk County. Nassau County, I'm buying houses that are complete and utter shit boxes for like four hundred plus thousand dollars. In Suffolk County, I'm buying shit boxes two fifty and above. Yeah. And then these things are destroyed on a level like this is what I wanted to get into you also. I was curious to know because when I saw that, I was like, bro, what am I doing wrong? Like, how is this guy doing 120 plus flips a year and then yeah. he's not stressed, whatever. But the average like my average reno is way over 100 grand. Holy shit. Seriously? Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the pictures on IG and stuff like on my IG recently, the worst house I ever bought is up there. Literally, all the floor joists are gone. The entire house is being held up by two two-by-fours. So what I had to do was build in-house construction. So I'm totally vertically integrated to try and manage this shit. In-house yeah. permits. I have staff electricians, staff plumbers. I have foremen. It, I have 25-plus people that work for me running around, plus subcontractors. And 98% of the houses are full-blown gut renos. Like... Everything yeah, goes, bro. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, our average renovation is twenty two thousand five hundred bucks. Yeah, never changed the wall. All those projects, I know. I don't think that we ever moved. Maybe on like three or four of them out of wow. three hundred. We've done three hundred projects so far, and out of the yeah, three or four of them, I mean, we've probably maybe we've done like a sixty seventy k job where we moved a wall. But like, dude, we don't we don't get into any of that kind of stuff. It just takes too much time. So like. My average length of a project is 90 days from closing to closing. So wow, you got to be quick. Yeah, bro. In a lot of cases, I'm waiting 90 days just to get the permit. <laughs> and, yeah, if you, and if you go to work without a permit, stop work order on the door. They triple the fees. I mean, I'm building. I was putting a dormer on a house uh, over in Massapequa Park. It's a village here in Nassau County. And um, I put the permit in. I was cleaning the place out and they shut me down. They tripled the fee. The fee for the permit was 10 grand. It was like $9,700. Oh my gosh. It's, it is crazy out here. It really is like another world. So I'm curious to know, how do you get, like, how do you get away with such a low rental, uh, reno? Is it because the houses are relatively new? Is, is that what it is? Just the, the, or the type of construction? Like why are the rental costs so low? <laughs> I think cost of labor. Yeah. And project size. So like, all right, these houses are averages three bedroom, one bath, 1100 square foot house, right? Um, 1960s, 1970s built house. 
So Slab it's Hungry, kind of, right? No basement? Yeah. Yeah, no basement. Cleveland, there is basement. All the other stuff in the Midwest is going to be no basement. Wow. Okay. So if you have, uh, therefore, Cleveland house renovations are a little bit higher because you got may have to do waterproofing and like bullshit like that. But you were just doing cosmetic stuff. So new kitchen, new bathroom, flooring, interior, exterior paint, windows. Do they need to go? Can we keep them? Hot water tank, HVAC. You know, are they older? Can we get a home warranty? You know, if they're still working, can we get a home warranty? If they're old and not working, put a new one in. That's it. Wow. Every single time, nothing changes. You know, <clears throat> same paint, exterior, interior, and then just like keep it at scale, right? So everything looks identical every single yeah. project. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I do that with my rentals uh, as well. Yeah. Every one looks exactly the same every single time. Yeah. Um, what are they built out of? Are they built out of concrete or is it stick built? What are they? Uh, I have no idea. This this is all the stuff, dude. I have no idea, dude. This is, this is great. I mean, so the uh, the gentleman you hooked up with in Tennessee, who has the construction company, the property manager, yeah. company, the broker. Are you still working with him to this day? We um, we are working a little bit, not as much. So, like, we worked a lot when he was broker owner, and then he actually sold his. Keller Williams actually bought his company. Okay. So then he became the. He had the biggest downline in Keller Williams in the world. And then, yeah. And then he got really busy with Keller Williams and stuff like that. So he, he kind of like left me in the dust to figure it out on my own. But um, so <clears throat> I worked with him for probably two years or so. And then Keller Williams came and bought him because he was scaled up so much. So we kind of lost him. And then my brother moved to Memphis to kind of uh, handle his work. Got so it. my brother moved there, started his own construction company. Now he's walking houses, doing the bids, Got et cetera, it. et cetera, finding new crews and stuff. So you have, you have boots on the ground that you really trust at this point. Oh yeah. Yeah. And all those contractors that we worked. So once he moved to Keller Williams, we actually kept all the contractors that were still working with us. And so okay. we have that relationship with them. So we have that, those contractors and then the deal flow sometimes still comes from him. Um, but I mean, we've been in that market for, you know, since 2017 now. So we have a lot of deal flow coming. Uh, and then we started our own wholesaling. I don't know if you want to get into that, but yeah, of course. started our own wholesaling business as well to even find even more inventory. So that wholesaling company is probably doing like, yeah, 20 to 40 closings a month right now. And that started in January, 2020. So talk to me about, um, you know, your marketing, your acquisition process. For some reason, I feel like you're doing virtual stuff. Are you doing, you have virtual cold callers and things like that? Yeah. 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 So we're do we have cold callers in the Philippines. Um, yeah. We're doing a lot of texting, probably texting like 10 to 20 or 10 to 30,000 people a day. Um, and then that brings us the warm leads. And then we have the cold callers get on the phone with them yeah. and then we close them over the phone. Cause we have a really good, like, um, ARV calculator system that we've built cause we know the markets. <laughs> and then, so they'll do all that marketing and then they'll send Martel turnkey a house. Hey, Martel turnkey, we have this house and it goes to my acquisition guys and they reviewed the deal. They submit an offer. We get access a couple days later. If the deal works, we close on it. If not, then they blast it off to the rest of their list and they, sell it to somebody else. Talk to me about the training process. Like who's vetting, who's vetting the deals and how, how did you become comfortable with that? Um, so vetting, you mean my, my acquisition team or the people yeah. on the ground? Yeah, no. So your acquisition team. So the people in the Philippines, like they don't need to know anything about real estate. They're essentially text blasting, which is 
going to become an issue soon, right? Did I hear that correctly? Like they're changing laws <laughs> or something. So it's kind of getting are, more. They are changing laws and it's, it's, so it's not actually, so the government's POV is actually that texting is fine. They actually said, came out and said that it, you don't need somebody to like sign up for your text message blast um, in order to text them. So that's good news in the government's eyes. The problem is with the carriers. So okay. the carriers are trying to protect their customers. So if they notice really high traffic coming from one, two, three of your phone numbers, two people at T-Mobile or Sprint or AT&T, then they're actually going to blacklist your phone number, which then means your texts are now undeliverable. Yeah. So it's actually in terms of like a legal standpoint, we're actually good. Like the laws got better, but because of that, the carriers are now trying to protect their clients, which we understand. And so it's kind of that battle now between us versus the carriers about how we can get around that. And they have like some yeah. sort of application process to like actually get approved to be, you know, one of the few people to be able to market to people that have their carrier. And so we're going through that process now, but I mean, for a lot of the small wholesalers or guys that are just starting, um, or maybe don't know this or don't have somebody legal looking at it. Um, yeah, it could be a challenge. I I'm worried about like the big, like Twilio and those companies that like their whole fucking business is like yeah. texting and like, what are they going to do? Like, what are they going to do? Like they must have, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. This is all very new stuff, by the way, this is like the beginning of May that yeah. this kind of new info came out. So yeah, it's no, all very new. I just heard about it because my, so I, I do, I do anywhere from 70 to 110 houses a year on average. And I do that basically just through word of mouth and building a network. Wow. Yeah. So basically I've just, I went out there for, this is, I've been in the business for six years. So when I went out there from day one, I went to, I joined the local RIA. I went to all kinds. I just network, network, network. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I was just out there like all the time. Yeah. And I built a lot of great relationships. And uh, I'm sure as you know, like a lot of investors, there's a ton of guys that are out there saying, Hey, I want to buy, I want to buy, I want to buy. But when it comes down to it, there's not a lot of people that can handle volume, close quickly, actually have the money deliver, and then make yeah. sure that the agents, you know, make money and it's a pleasant experience. So, um, now that I'm trying to get to that disrespectful, like 200 plus house uh, level before I, I hang it up and move on to something else, I have to really dive into all the marketing. So was, I was watching one of your videos. You were talking about Zoho. I'm, I'm back. Um, there we go. And things like that. I mean, and it, and it works. It, it definitely does. If you want to get to that level, you need to be doing like 40 different things consistently well all the time. But uh, it's a lot of work, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so, but because of that news too, I mean, we're moving from texting to like now testing other stuff. So like cold calling, like hiring yeah. more cold callers, for example, um, doing, should we do bandit signs? Should we do like direct mail? So like, we're, I'm glad that we've, we've made some money <coughs> to be able to actually like test out those things now. But like when we first started, I was like, yeah. dude, let's try to do this as low budget as possible. So that if you guys mess up, <laughs> we can just walk away. But, um, now that we've made some money, it's like, all right, we got, X amount of the bank, let's you know split it up four ways and spend, you know, 50 grand on each four of these things. And, you know, let's see what it delivers and keep track of all of it so that we know where we can, because, you know, bringing money into the company is not going to be a problem. As long as it makes, you know, that marketing strategy makes money for everybody, then, it, you know, it's going to be no issue. So that's kind of what we're testing now is kind of diversifying. So we don't have uh, all our eggs in one basket, which would be texting. Yeah, no, that's true. That that makes sense. How have you found the? Because I actually I I tested some Philippine cold callers, 
and it, my experience with them wasn't that great. Um, yeah. how, how are you making out with it? Or maybe cause you're doing it differently than me. Like I wasn't doing the text blasting like that and then having them follow up, which is a pretty smart thing to do. Yeah. So we've, we've saved a lot of time for the cold callers because what we do is we'll text, we'll confirm that that person matches that phone number. We'll put that in our CRM, the Zoho CRM and be like, uh, confirmed phone number. So now we know Lisa, this is Lisa's phone number, right? Instead of just cold calling, you're like, they have like a four way dialer, but it's like, Hey, is Billy there? This ain't Billy. And then they hang up. Right. But now we know, <laughs> now we know this is Lisa and this is her phone number. So now the cold callers are calling a confirmed list of yeah. people. So now it's a four way dialer on a confirmed list of people. So now like, you know, it's whatever, 25, you know, 25% better or however much you want to say, but it's way more accurate. They're calling people that actually are real people instead of calling all these silly phone numbers or fake phone numbers. So that's how we've been able to, that's how we've been able to do it. The Philippine cold callers, one of my friends owns a VA company in mm -hmm. the Philippines and they've done pretty good. Uh, yeah. Martel Turnkey's hired one or two of them. Uh, the wholesaling companies hired like 12 of them. Um, and they, they've done pretty good. They have like two or three managers that train them, walk them through the process. Um, they are okay on the phone. They're not the best. Yeah. <laughs> of course, somebody speaking English and, you know, with a great sound system and very quiet room, it sounds a lot better, but, um, for the price you're paying and for a volume kind of play, it's, uh, yeah. you know, it works out. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, and that's what I was thinking about playing with. And I had a gentleman hit me up from Nicaragua, who is a call center out there, which I was yeah. thinking about testing out obviously because, you know, big Spanish population here. They speak Spanish. Yeah. But I, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, you know what? Like the conversion, you know, if the conversion rate is 5% or whatever it is, or 3%, but I have 15 of these guys or 20 of these guys calling and it's six bucks an hour. Yeah. Does it, does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Does it yeah. Really yeah. For us, for us, it does because we're doing the texting first, which I think is a big mistake for a lot of people. They'll just go like right into the cold calling which is, you know, a lot of wasted time. Like, dude, we can text 500,000 people in one day with a group of like three or four people, you know, four or five people, for example, on texting. How many people is it going to take to call 50,000 people in one day or reach out to them? Yeah. You know, so, and texting, people can get back to you. They don't have to be ready in that moment, you know? Yeah. And we've sold houses purely over text messages. I mean, bought houses purely over text. That's sick. And it, it's awesome. Like, it's awesome that you yeah. have the population that you have the amount, that amount of people. Like if I'm doing that locally in New York and Long Island, I mean, New York. Yeah, Island, that's a thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So we, we've bought like, so we use prop stream. So we've bought like, we own like two or three cities right now. Like we bought every single house and every single record of, you know, two or three cities, which is like close to a million, uh, a million records that we own. Um, and then whenever those records are updated or somebody sells a house, we get updated like, Hey, this house sold and here's the new contact info for this person. So, um, yeah, it helps because we're doing volume and we're in many different cities to be able to kind of scale that business. So I'm 41, you're 25. So I don't, you don't probably remember this cause they don't do this anymore, but online dating was the awesomest thing ever. I love online dating. Now you have those apps and shit. I, I don't hate the apps, but online dating, yeah. I, I was, <laughs> I was a, I was a wizard at online dating because now they just look at you. So if I can't be witty or charming, like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm fucked. Right. 
So yeah. my go-to line on Match.com back in the day, which had like a 75% response rate, was once the girl looked at my picture, I would say, don't you think it's rude to stare at me and not introduce yourself, period. And uh, I met my, uh, my ex-wife that way, so that could be a blessing or a curse. That's the point funny. of this ridiculous rant is, what is your like number one text message that gets the best responses? Yeah, so it's we test out a lot of them. I don't know what the exact one is, but it's some sort of variant of, hey, it's like, I think it's, hey, homeowner. Yeah, fuck. I mean, <laughs> all good. All good. I just really wanted to tell the story about uh, internet dating. That's, that's why you brought it up. <laughs> it's kind of a selfish thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we test out a bunch of different variants of the same message. And I don't think that my guys really know. So I'm kind of like away from that business. I'm not in the day to day, obviously. Um, there's two of my friends from college that actually run the show over there, but let me see what, let me see what we text here. I have what it pulled is your, up. Like, what is the highest and best use of your time? Like, what do you spend, you know, 85% of your day doing? Um, pretty much just putting out fires or putting out stuff that goes wrong in the processor system. So I've built the reason why I'm able to do so much and why like I may seem like so not stressed out is because I have a really good fucking system in place. Nice. Um, which catches, you know, 99% of mistakes. And when there is a mistake, I get notified. So that's a good thing because then I'll get an email like this didn't happen correctly. Like, please go fix it. So like 90% of my, <coughs> not 90, maybe like 40% of my days like of that kind of stuff, like putting out fires, handling shit. Um, and it, it used to be a lot more like me actually doing the work and stuff like that. But I've hired a lot of that stuff out, like the sales and the acquisition side of things. Um, but I would say that most of it's putting out fires and mostly with just Martel turnkey side of things. And then the other 60%, let's say, is just like further growth and expansion, which... Yeah. This year, thankfully, I've been I've had a lot more time to be able to like really push that. So um, we're starting, for example, like I don't know if you've thought about these kinds of things with your volume, but like um, a home warranty company, um, so kind of like an insurance company that we're opening, a title company, yeah, um, those kinds of things that like you know where we kind of just imagine just looking at your your P and L for the year, and you're like, man, I spent a two hundred grand at title company. It's like shit, I can be doing this myself i can hire the girl from the title company call it my own title company and you know pay her double what she's making <laughs> and she can just do all my transactions right so those are the those are the things that i finally have some time for and so those are the things that i'm spending a lot of time on on working and also just like expanding to new markets and adding new markets for martel turnkey so my experience in regards to that, because I think the same way. And what usually happens is I end up opening businesses to support my other businesses because I can't get anything done because I'm trying to get stuff done. That's why I opened Captain Permit because every time I would call up an architect or expediter, they would disappear with my money and like they would mm. resurface like five months later. So, but the thing that I realized is a lot of those ancillary businesses, they don't really make money. Like they make money because they enable you to do your core business better and faster. But as far as being like real revenue generators, more times than not, they um, they aren't what you really hope for them to be. Uh, on the title side, uh, a lot of times you can like partner up with title companies and they'll give you like forty percent of the uh, of the premium. You ever done that? Oh, like, really? Yeah. So no. what you could what you could do is like 
if you, um, they do it here, I'm sure they do it everywhere, but essentially you reach out to the title company and say, Hey, listen, this is how title companies get business from attorneys, even though like they're not supposed to, but they figure out the legal way to do it, which is like, if you're a title company and you want an attorney's business, why is the attorney going to give you the business? They incentivize these people. So what they do yeah. is they end up giving you anywhere between, let's say 30 to 40% of the premium. And there's ways that they route that. So I bet if you reached out to some of your title people and you were like, yeah. Hey, listen, um, you know, my buddy is, is doing this. He's working with the title company. They're giving him 40% of the premium uh, and, and they want to do it for me as well. What do you think? See okay. what they say. Cause that's a, that's a very, very, very big thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that would be fantastic. I mean, I don't have to do any of the work and I get 40% of it. Shit. Might as well do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause the app, the abstract company is getting 90% of the premium and the other 10% is going up to the, the, the mothership. So they, yeah. there's a lot of meat there for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And I, and I know <clears throat> that was one of our worries too. Like, should we waste our time doing this like side shit if it's not going to make that much? I mean, all right. Title company, best case scenario, you're going to be making 10 grand, you know, clearing five or 10 grand a month. Right. So yeah, it's not, you know, it'll then you have to manage your... that managing. It yeah, is like, yeah. 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 So it's not, it's not that much. You're right. It's not that much money. Um, the home warranty company, for example, I mean, we're currently using a home warranty company um, and they're definitely making money off us because we did the math. But um, yeah, is it going to save us that much money? No, it may save us like 50 grand a year. So yeah, they're not like huge money generate. I mean, the biggest, best, the best use of my time for the best dollar would be expanding Martel Turnkey, right? So yeah, like adding a new market, right? Like that's going to be the best return of my dollar. It's just these extra side things where I can put a system in place, automate it, hire the right people. And then hopefully, you know, it takes maybe yeah, a couple hours of my week, but I'm making an extra 10 grand a month or something like that um, would be nice because yeah. the business is already there. Yeah. And if, if I'm, if I'm you, I try to get, you know, kickers in the best places like yeah. the title company, or if you're setting up the financing with, you know, local lenders, which are a lot of times better to deal with, uh, yeah. And you can get a if you can get a point or a point and a half or whatever it is on every deal that you refer, that's a win also without having to deal with any of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's what true. um, I got a question for you about Zoho. What was your customization process of Zoho like? Did you do it? Did every, you pay people to do it? Is it still just nuts? Every week, bro. Every week we update that thing. It's crazy. So my my dad actually used to work at Salesforce, so he's pretty good at like CRMs oh, and stuff. That's awesome. That's a win. Yeah, that's a win. Yeah, and so he, you know, me and him kind of built the first iteration, and then literally since we built it in 2018, <coughs> literally been updating it every single week with new automations, new systems. Now the CRM pushes everything right to the website, so yep. you know we can literally click a button and it updates our WordPress website with everything that you know, needs to be up on the website for that property to be sold. Um, so yeah, it's literally constantly being updated. And then also like once you start hiring people, then like they have different points of view and they're like, oh, we should do this. Or like, this is taking so much time, Antoine, how can I automate it? And then we'll, you know, we'll spend time automating that or building that out or hiring something to do it if we need to. But yeah, it's, it's a work in progress consistently. Yeah, no, that's my thing. I mean, I'm about as tech savvy. I am, I am not tech savvy at all. Like, how the hell are you doing a hundred houses a year then, bro? It is. You got. Do you ever come to New York? No, but I'm gonna come now, bro. 
If you want to come to New York, you got a place to say, I will show you the whole operation. I'll take you out, show you what's going on. You'll meet my team, everything. It's That's why I'm out of my mind. That's why I put that video up about burnout. Because for me, it's like, dude, you cannot, in New York for what we do, the way I want to do it, it is not a sustainable long-term thing. You will lose your mind. Yeah. You will, you will, so you don't, you don't have any kind of system that's tracking everything from like offers submitted to under contract to under construction to like sold or sales process out. Bro, I'm going to, I'm going to twist my screen and show you something in a minute. That's why we're doing Zoho. But so I did my second year in the business, I did 40 houses, like 40 full gut renos. I managed them all. I raised every dollar, I sourced every deal. So now Zoho is helping us again, get to the next level, but I've done 70 to hundred houses. Look at this by, you see the wall there? Shut the fuck up. Dude. I'm not even kidding you. I write this shit on the wall. No. There's like no. 60 dude. something houses on the wall. <laughs> oh my God. It's, I mean, we use, um, like now I use, I use monday.com for the, um, for the construction guys just to keep everything and nobody on my team is really tech savvy so it's but dude it's not that complicated dude like <laughs> this so these are all our houses and i have it just every i can click on any house and it has the purchase price the rehab bid the arv yeah. like all the numbers are all are all right here this is the zoho app and then i put the rent the cash flow analysis everything all the documents who's working on the deal so like Holy shit, dude. <laughs> oh, you're muted again. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. So imagine if that's why we're doing the Zoho thing now. So imagine if yeah. I had that level of technology, mm -hmm. what we could do, but it's just, dude, it's just, it's crazy. Like I'll do a house. I'll do, I'll do a house, a new construction, even a gut reno. I need seven or eight inspections. Wow. Imagine that for a second. The permit process, everybody's corrupt because everybody that works in the building department is some political hack who's related to somebody who doesn't want to do yeah. shit, doesn't want to do shit. They're all operating their own like mini business in there. It's just, mm -hmm. it's nuts. How, how, what's the average length of one of your projects? So in a not COVID time, I budget for a six month cycle. So close to close six months. And at the beginning when I was doing like the first year when I did 11 houses, I was bringing in in like 4.2 months. Now my average is probably somewhere in like the nine month and change close to close just because of what's going on. Like crazy labor shortages. You can't get material. Like, bro, they ran out of meter pans last week. There are no meter pans on Long Island. My buddy's in, oh my uh, God. in North Carolina. He's like, how many do you need? He's shipping me meter pans. Like it's nuts. Oh my God. And how are you raising money for these, all these projects? So I always, I have, I don't use, um, private lenders in the sense that like institutional hard money, like yeah. finance of America, Lima, one of those guys. I actually, from the very beginning, I was trained by my mentor to go out and raise money. So I put together this thing called the handsome home buyer, uh, private lender packet. And I would post a lot on social media and then people started calling me. And then I would do like dog and pony shows. Like I would rent out Ruth Chris Steakhouse for an afternoon. I would bring like 25, 30 people in for lunch and I would pitch them on what I was doing. Nice. And that's what I did. So now I have people anywhere from like people I played baseball with when I was 12 to yeah. guys that own hedge funds and everything in between. 
And uh, then it's just word of mouth and it spreads. So I set it up from, from day one. I pay 10% interest only with a guaranteed six months. And there's no, there's no points. There's no fees. There's no crazy legal. I send Beautiful. one email and the money's there the next day. Beautiful. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, we've gotten that down. So we used to be at 12%. Then we went to 10 and then now with COVID we're down to 8%. Yeah. Crazy. I, um, I recently started working with um, an in one institutional lender. I tried them out for the first time last week just to do my new construction builds and dormers because those houses are selling for let's say 800 to 1.2 million. And the permit process takes so long that at least with those guys, you're not paying juice on the reno draw until you actually draw down on it. Yeah. So that saves yeah. me a lot of money. And they're lending me like 85% of purchase, 100% of reno at wow. seven, seven and a quarter. Wow, that's good. Okay. So, cool. Yeah, I was very curious. Yeah, because yeah, you need to get that system built. And you can have like literally checklists for every single one, tasks that need to be done for every single one, all the inspections, all the dates. There's yep. so you're you need to free up all that stuff. And then you could just have some people on that damn thing the whole time. Just literally you forward them the email and they automate, they update that property in the CRM with the correct information, you know? Yeah. That's what we're trying to do now. But like, that's not, that's not my strong suit. So I have people yeah. doing it, but they don't like, you're lucky because you can do the build out and you understand your business. Yeah. Trying, I'm trying to relay to these people <laughs> what I do. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. The, what, what about fuck? all right? Next big question. This is switched. The interview switched. I love it. Um, because I, there's, dude, there's not many people like me and you level, so nah. Um, cash flows, yeah. How are you? That's the biggest killer of people, and when they get to this level, so how are you tracking your cash flows, managing your cash? We've kind of figured out a way to do it, but how, how have you done it, if anything at all, to manage and track your cash flows? So when you say cash flow, are you talking about on rental properties? No, no, no. Sorry. So okay, you have X amount of dollars in the bank, but okay. you have this amount of money in unpaid bids. You have this amount of money you need for closing next week. You have this okay. amount of money that's coming into the bank account next week from this closing. So tracking your literally your bank account balance and all the money moving in and out of that bank balance. Okay. So a couple things. A, I have a full-time CFO who Beautiful. pays all bills. I don't do any of that. I haven't paid a bill in years. Um, he, is an, he is an assistant. My accountant is in the back end of this thing 24 seven. So they run all the finances. I live a very, like, I live like a college student. I, I literally, <laughs> I just got a new apartment. Dude, I don't, I haven't had a TV in 10 years. I don't even have a couch. I have a bed and two stools. I'm driving, <laughs> I'm driving around in a Honda HRV that cost me 260 bucks a month. Like, I'm just, I like the action, right? So everything goes back into the business. And as far as structuring the financing, like I can essentially get into deals for no money out of pocket because I stack the financing with yeah, yeah, exactly. secured and unsecured investors. Yeah. So that's basically what I do. So I, I don't Beautiful. have cash flow problems for that reason because I, I live very lean. I run very lean in my Got personal it. life. Got it, got it. Yeah, because I've talked to some other big boys, like 200 houses, 250 a year in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how are you guys managing your cash flows? Like, we're having problems. You know, we're just worried about it. Like, we're like, I don't know how much money we're going to, you know, sometimes the bank says 3 million bucks. Some 
some months and days it says 150 grand and it's like yeah. what the yeah. hell is going you know literally it's really scary it's, <laughs> yeah literally people think yes. i'm joking yes. <laughs> yeah. no, <it's> serious <laughs> yeah and it's like how am i gonna pay the rehab like dude two days ago we probably spent I, so we have our uh our bookkeepers are yeah. out of the country in india we have a team of bookkeepers and they they send the money every night to like all of our property management companies or construction companies for renovation bids or unit turns. And like one night we sent like, yeah, 50 or a hundred thousand dollars just in. And I woke up with like all the emails, like 20 grand, 10 grand, 15 grand. And it's like, you know, just imagine if it was one of those weeks where you had a hundred grand in the bank and 50 grand just disappears in one day and one night. It's just, bro, it's, it's crazy. I, I spend, I spend over 200,000 a week on construction. Oh wow! Like, yeah, I wonder what our, I wonder what our number is. That's crazy. Like, we probably just, spend half of that. We probably spend like a hundred grand or or fifty grand. It just Not that, because our renovations are so small, you know. It just it flies out the door. Two hundred plus That's thousand crazy. every week. Just it just goes. It just it just goes. How so? How are you currently setting up your financing? Are you working with institutional lenders? Are you raising private money? What are you Same doing? Same as you, bro. Private money, eight percent. Yeah. Simple. Nice. Unsecured. All unsecured. I don't do anything secured. Um, I mean, it's awesome that, that people trust you and that they'll do that. Um, what what kind of LTV? <laughs> no, it's true. Like I have yeah, people yeah. that do that that trust me. And then there's people like, you know, I have guys that have three, four, five, six million with me. They, uh, they okay. want to be secured. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, our people, LTVs, they're doing 90 to 100%. Wow. Yeah. So pretty much wow. funding the whole thing. Yeah, which is at eight percent. Which is probably, I mean, just as long as you're living like like a relatively modest lifestyle, you should you should be good. But like I made a video about this a couple of weeks ago, the, the dreaded cash crunch. It's yeah. a reality for every investor. Like to your point, I'll go out and buy like 10 or 12 houses in one month that I'm paying 350 or more for. And I'm just like, wow, there's like $3 left in the bank. What happens here? And then all yeah. of a sudden we'll close like six or seven deals in a week. And it's like the money's back in. It's like, ah, oh, you know? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And we've, so we've built a system. We built actually, um, we pull out all the QuickBooks data and all the data from the CRM. And we actually have, we actually made uh, weekly cash flows. So we can actually now predict what the cash flows are going to look like on a weekly basis up to like four to six weeks out. That's awesome. So how, um, how quickly are you able to like, do you have the investors lined up for these deals before you buy them while you're renovating them? Cause it's like, you're moving these things fast. Yeah. So like uh, probably about a week, <coughs> a week before, once I have like a confirmed closing date, I'll kind of move that investor's money to a new deal. Once that deal sells, then I'll reach out to the investor. Hey, do you want your money back? It's going to be reinvested in the next like seven days. No, I'm good. Okay, cool. And I just move their money to a new deal right after that. And so, dude, after you do that two or three times, people are like, people forget they have the money. They just like, hey, I'm making a thousand bucks. Antoine's paying me a thousand bucks a month. I like don't do shit. So cool. they love it. So let me ask you this question, unless you already do this. What about using what about using the end? All right. So you're borrowing money from people at eight percent and then you're yeah. selling the house to somebody else, right? Correct. What if you use the end you the end buyer's money from the beginning? Yeah, so that gets complicated because then that buyer knows the numbers of the deal, um, which makes it kind of 
convoluted where like we say hey here's the price for this house whatever and they're like what the fuck like you told me it was going to be this or whatever so like we'll <coughs> it, it won't really work because they know too much about the deal yeah you know what and originally like 10 years ago i would probably say the same thing but think about this the service that you're offering is so valuable that they can't turn around like real investors like i always tell people i'm like tell your investors how much you're making and they look at me like I'm like, real investors don't care. They want you to make money. They're looking for their specific yield and they're happy with that. Yeah, so, I like agree that. with that. I agree with that. But the thing is 80% of the my buyers are not real investors. This is their first time investing in real estate. They're used to the stock market. Um, when they're getting financing too, I guess the other like technicality would be like, all right, they're, they send us a wire for a hundred grand, right? Like three months before the house is done, right? Okay. Then 90 days in, then they're gonna go and get financing. And then the bank's gonna be like, hey, where's your down payment? Oh no, I already sent, you know, they don't, they go from like a hundred grand in the bank to $0 in the bank, cause I have all their money. But then all of our buyers get financing, they don't buy them cash. So they would have to go through the financing process. They would need money in the bank to like get that financing as well. Yeah, I'm just, Obviously, this isn't that easy, but I'm just, it's yeah. rolling around in my head on how you structure this. And essentially, all you do is become like a service for hire because, listen, they can, they can bitch and moan all they want. They don't, yeah. if they're happy making their eight to 10%, they don't have the ability to do what you do without you. Yeah. So even if they're paying you 10 or 15 or $20,000 as a, as a fee. Yeah. And you set up the financing and they're basically upfronting all the money and then you're just invoicing them at some point. Yeah. Um, that might be an issue. It could be. Yeah, it could be. I just didn't want, <laughs> I think like there's a couple of guys that, that did that and really got, really got burned. Yeah. And it was because first of all, I think it's a lot of like burden to like on me, like in communication burden, like to letting the investor know how the renovations are going, letting them know, like, yeah. just like that up. They're not like real, they're not real investors. So like, they're going to be blowing me up every day. I already know it. Like what's going on? What's going on? Where's the, you know, all this kind of shit. Whereas the turnkey client now it's like the house is done. It's posted on the website, you know, go buy the house. We'll introduce you to the bank. Boom. I'm done. Like, you know, you have any questions about the property? Like, well, we'll answer them up front. But as soon as you sign the contract, I mean, you're working with a lender to get the financing and to get closed. No, it, that all makes sense. It, it, it yeah. really does. I just, I just, is there enough investors out there that just won't care that'll be happy with what they're making? I don't know. It's with like a philosophical yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good question. There, <clears throat> there has been during COVID. I mean, we, we've been sold out for the last like nine months. Wow. Sold out back backlog of buyers. That is, that is awesome. Yeah. With this, is the first time we've had inventory on the website in six to nine months. I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to see if like I could do what you do here if I if I wanted to. And I was like, yeah, so yeah. anyway, it's divided by point zero seven. Yeah. So the weird thing about here is like if I'm looking to sell it like a seven cap or a seven and a half cap, the yeah. appraise the appraised value of these single family houses out here are more if I was just gonna like let's say flip it than if I was gonna rent yeah. it. Because the taxes yeah. here are so friggin' high that it yeah, kills your it kills your NOI. <laughs> Yeah. So if you can be in the two to $300,000 range and be at like a six cap, 
then I can probably sell that. Like that's something that I could sell to some of my clients. But what are the taxes? Oh, actually, you know what? I guess maybe it's all relevant. Like it so would, it should be. So like, all right, hundred thousand dollar house in Cleveland, Ohio, taxes are 2,500 bucks. So for your two to $3,000 houses, two to 300,000, would taxes be like five to 7,500? Um, yeah, or something more. more. So let's, so there's, there's a place I do, uh, do deals, rental deals. It's called Bellport. It's like, it's a, it's a very tough area. It's yeah. three bedroom, one bathroom slab on grade construction ranches, like 1100 square feet. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, now these things are selling for like, now they're valued at like 250, but I used to pick these things up at like, yeah, 50, 50 to $80,000. I used Oh shit. You're muted again. No, nah, I'm good now. I'm back in the game. There we go. Back in the game. I'm back in the game. So, yeah, the taxes on some of these things are like they're worth $250,000. The tax is like eight grand. Yeah, fuck, man. So, what's your like? So, give that me an example. What's, what's a real NOI on one of your houses that you bought for 100 grand? NOI after debt service? No, but NOI not including debt service. Uh, like dollar wise? Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, like five to six hundred dollars. No, no, annual NOI, NOI. Uh, so let's just say six hundred dollars times twelve. Seventy-two hundred. Uh, just seventy-five hundred bucks. You know what? They're probably, it's probably about the same. But let me ask you this: When you apply the cap rate of seven and a half percent, does that make this thing worth more money than if you appraised it as a regular single-family home that someone was going to live in? No, so these will these will that will appraise for a hundred grand. But if I was going to flip it, I could probably sell it for like a hundred twenty grand. Got it. So, do these people have issues with the financing, being that it's a single family home and it's not appraising as like a one off to live in? No, the, we haven't had much problems with appraisals, especially recently. How do so you, no, it's been still been working. You, how do you get around that? If the bank's like, I'm willing to lend 75% of the appraised value, do these people yeah. come out more out of pocket more money? So <clears throat> if the house doesn't appraise, we normally drop the sales price down to the appraised value. That's Got one it. of the things we used to do. Got now it. with COVID and with record low inventory, we've been getting offers on our houses where people waive the appraisal contingency. Um, so Got now it. they're willing to put up more money at the closing table. Smart. Um, yes, sir. Bro, you're the fucking man. You are. I love this. To your point, I, I never it, really get to speak to people that are, you know, doing this kind of stuff. No, so man. It's been an Crazy. hour. These are usually 45 minutes. I could go on for like two hours. I'm definitely going to give you my I'm down. I'm yeah, definitely yeah, going to give you my number. Sure. If you're going down to Tennessee, maybe I'll shoot down there and meet you. If you want to come to New York, you always have a place to stay. And I'm always a resource for you uh, with anything you ever need. I'm going to make sure you have my number and all my info. But if people okay. are interested in following you, if they're interested in buying, you know, one-offs or portfolios of out-of-state rentals and making eight plus percent and taking advantage of depreciation and all that, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so best way is probably on Instagram at Martel Antoine. Um, you can go to martelturnkey.com if you're interested in turnkey rentals. You can go there and book a phone call right on the website. Um, and yeah, I try to get through all my DMs. So feel free to DM me. I try to get back to everybody. Uh, I can tell you from firsthand, I, I hit him up. He got back to me right away, and uh, yes, sir. it was a it was a banging podcast, man. So thank you, yeah, I man. Really good. That. Obviously, everybody knows I'm the handsome home buyer, cat pee, land, commercial property. I want to buy it. 
777 sold. That's a wrap.